Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. Self-monitoring is power. Visit managerbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. This is episode 23 of the Bowery Boys, the story of Macy's and the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Bowery Boys is brought to you by Euro Cheapo. Euro Cheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at eurocheapo.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. Thanks once again for tuning in to another exciting episode of our podcast. Would you believe episode 23, Greg? I know, all, all the way up to 23 already, and uh, you know we're almost oh, at we're the end of the year. We're just getting started, yeah. yeah. I'm very, very excited to do this one this week. It's the story of Macy's Department Store. Also of Herald Square, its present location, and of the Thanksgiving Day Parade. So we have a lot of information to uh, get down to business with so i have to say we're both excited yeah of course i mean it's a parade and we've never done a store either shopping right i mean who gets we get to talk about shopping technically well and we've been talking for weeks and weeks and weeks about how new york is a city of commerce yet we never actually talk about the commerce and And here here we are and here we're going to lay it out with one of its most famous shops but stay tuned because at the end of the podcast we're going to be talking about some of the more famous balloons are in the parade. We're going to tell you about the very first balloon, Tom. Mm-hmm. We're going to tell them about the largest balloon ever mm-hmm. in the parade. I know not these answers. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the most enduring balloon, the character who has been in it in the most incarnations Ever. I think I know who that is, but in between now and then, we'll also provide you with lots of our usual hot air. <laughs> so, cr- I'm working on that one. Crank it up and stay tuned. We're going to Macy's. Okay, so Tom, Macy's. The greatest department store in the world, at least the well, greatest department, the, at least the greatest in New York City, started by one man, um, William H Macy. Uh, close. William H Macy is the Oscar winner, Oscar nominee, but he didn't, Oscar nominee, but he, but it's not, not. It doesn't have anything to do with William H Macy. No, but close. It's Roland H Macy. Roland, Roland H Macy. Hussey Macy. <laughs> in fact, born in eighteen twenty-two. Uh, born in Nantucket, he was the son of a seafaring father. And early on, at the age of 15, actually, he was working aboard the Emily Morgan whaling ship, where he was wow. so inspired one day to get a tattoo. He got a tattoo of a red five-pointed star on his okay. arm. That yeah, sounds like a, a tattoo that a sailor might get, a young sailor. A tattoo that might become a logo of a certain major department store that you see 
everywhere in every Macy's flyer and every Macy's wow. advertisement. Well, you see that big red star. Well, thank goodness he didn't get a heart with a, a dagger through it. That'd be quite an <laughs> or, unusual. Or mom. Yes. <laughs> that, that could throw off the logo. Uh, but during the 1850s, he actually opened up four different dry goods stores. He, he was an entrepreneur at heart. His, mm-hmm. his first one in 1851 in downtown Haverhill, Massachusetts. Uh, all of them failures. Oh. But he just kept going. I mean, this guy was enterprising, and he wanted to make it work. In 1858, at the age of 36, he packed his bags, and he moved to New York City to establish R.H. Macy and Company. Yes, um, or what he called the fancy dry goods store. That was in October of 1858. That's correct. He was age 36, very Mm. enterprising. It was at the corner of 6th Avenue and 14th Street. It's not what we know Macy's today. Wait, what is that today? It's like, it's basically between where the Urban Outfitters is on the corner and the party store, you know, where you can buy like party supplies. It's like a Starbucks. And on the south side of the street, yes. Well, anyway, his first day of sales. (laughs) Just just picture this man with like his, you know, head in his hands. First day of sales was Mm $11.06. However, that's not till, you know, that's. Not to last, he would, by the end of the year, his sales would reach up to $85,000. And part of the way that he would get it from that $11 up to $85,000 is through advertising, because even early on, he realized the necessity. He was an innovator, oh, right. and he was willing to take gambles on things. He spent $2,800 on advertising that first year alone, which was an unheard of amount for a department store at that time. Well, he would actually do something that was a little bit unfamiliar to readers of newspapers, and it would actually put the prices of items into the paper. Among other important changes that Macy would bring to retailing in 1866, he was actually the first retailer to promote a woman to an executive level position. That would oh, be Margaret Getchell. Forward, forward thinking. Right. 1870, Macy's actually introduces the first in-store Santa Claus and illuminated window displays. So he was a sort of promotional maverick, I think. I think we need to kind of take a step back and sort of let the listeners know like the context in which he's actually making this store. This is right off of what would be considered at the period of time called Ladies Mile. It's sort of the Soho of its day. It's where all the shopping basically happened in the late 19th century. It was one block over from Broadway up to 23rd Street, um, encompassed 5th and 6th Avenues as well. Once the elevated line was built up 6th Avenue, everyone went there for shopping. And there was all kinds of shopping from most well-to-do to to just the normal everyday kind of stuff. Well, the the biggest department store in Ladies Mile was called the Siegel Cooper Department Store. And it was on 18th and 19th Street. That name will come up or pop up in a few minutes. So keep that in mind. But if we can just fall back 1858 now, Mm -hmm. again, to situate ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're at 14th and 6th. He opens up the store. It builds and builds and builds. By 1877, he had actually expanded the store at that location to incorporate 11 adjacent buildings. Oh, all over the place, right. Right, so he was really growing this department store, and that same year, 1877, Macy would die. As a matter of fact, he's buried at Woodlawn. I just saw his, I, I saw his crypt 
his mausoleum just a few a few weeks ago when I did it uh, used uh, some woodlawn photographs in the blog. Really? Yes, it's a it's a very imposing structure. I mean, they they built these things like kings back in the day. So, mm. and he was rich by this point. Mm. Now, in did he actually expanded into eleven adjacent trips? <laughs> there might have been actually. You know, they all looked. They were all about the same period of time, but I didn't look. So anyway, in eighteen. In 1896, Isidore and Nathan Strauss bought Macy's. Uh, Nathan Strauss had actually been an employee of Macy's, so he bought it in 18. They bought it in 1896. So the Strauss brothers bought it in 1896, and they had big plans for it. Side note, of course, Isidore Strauss would run it through the early 1900s, and would, but would end up dying on the Titanic himself. Oh, that's right, with his wife. Right. Okay. Back to our story. Well, as you know, as as the times change, people are moving on uptown. So they decide that they want to move Macy's up to this prime real estate at 34th Street and Broadway. So 34th and Broadway is the area that we commonly refer to as Herald Square, Square, of of course. course. Right. 34th, Broadway, and 6th Avenue all kind of merged together, forming that square. But it should be noted that it's not just Herald Square. It's also Greeley Square. Right. There are two squares below thirty fourth, from like thirty second to thirty fourth. Right, is that is that little square plaza right. area? That's Greeley. Greeley, and then from thirty fourth up to thirty fifth is Herald Square. Now Greeley Square is named for Horace Greeley, who was the founder of the New York Tribune, mm-hmm. which was headquartered there um, in eighteen ninety four. The the big structure was built. It was. It would end up being demolished in 1924 for that 24 story Herald Square office building that's there. Okay. Now, Herald Square on the other side was named for the New York Herald, which was. So these competing the, these competing the, the rival. Were, right, they were course, right there. Wow. Which was also headquartered there. So mm-hmm. in the 1890s, this was briefly the city's entertainment and newspaper headquarters. It would also be a, a, a retail mecca with oh sure yes. with big-name shopping department stores right there. Mm-hmm. Well, even today, there's all these big stores. You've got a Victoria's Secrets there. You have the Manhattan Mall. You've got a Toys R Us. Well, the all Manhattan things, Mall. Right? <laughs> yes, Gap. I'm not going to get depressed. The Manhattan <laughs> Mall actually is built in the former Gimbel store, which was Macy's big competitor. Wow. Yeah. Oh, you knew that. <laughs> I didn't know that anyway. So so they built the new Macy's right. in 1902. The architects of the particular place were Delimos and Cordes. Those They were actually famous for building department stores. And they actually built Siegel and Cooper, which I just mentioned, the big one that was downtown. They're into building these gigantic spaces. They built like the Fulton building. They also built a lot of office buildings downtown. They had acquired this uh, this land that was between 34th and 35th. That's it? Yes. The entire area? Um, no, not the entire area. For you see, if, you, if you'll walk by Macy's, there's a little corner where there's a very short building, and today there's a sunglass hut and a Burger King in the basement. Macy's is sort of wrapped around that. Of course, uh, the Strauss brothers had had put in a bid for that building and had agreed to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to the owner. However, 
Siegel and Cooper, the one who owned the department store downtown and a big competitor of Macy's. Well, he stuck his foot in a little bit, very Henry Siegel, actually, via his agent um, named Robert Smith. He paid more. He paid $375,000 and then got that corner. So he basically froze that corner so the Macy's people could not build this gigantic department store that Why, they had that to build around it. sneaky guy. He claimed, that, he claimed that he wanted to build a store there, but he basically held it hostage. In 1907, uh, his agent, Robert Smith, actually sells it for a record $1 million dollars. And not to not to the Macy's people, incidentally, sells it for one a record one million dollars. And at the time, it was the highest per square foot real estate in Manhattan. It was eight hundred sixty six dollars per square foot. Wow! So it was it was very hot real estate, and it did not go to Macy's. Of course, today Macy's leases it, and they can't incorporate it into the building anymore because it's you know the building's landmarked. So they put, they throw up this gigantic monster, ridiculous sign in front of it, so you don't even see it when you watch the parade it's really funny it's yeah it's actually pretty it's hysterical it kind of reminds me of mrs astor's mansion next to the big uh <laughs> it is another it is kind of the example of this and believe it or not this is not the first time it happens to macy's in in the 1960s not macy's, the last time the last time sorry macy's tries to build a macy's in queens and a very similar thing happens in Elmhurst, Queens, as a matter of fact. In 1964, there was this widow by the name of Mary Sendak. She owned a house on the same property, and she refused to sell. So they, when they built the Queens Macy's, they again had to change their plans and shape this ah. gigantic department store Did they around cover her it. with a billboard? They had to cover her with a billboard. Well, she didn't want to sell because she'd lived there her whole life, and she was afraid that her dog wouldn't have a place to run after she died. So... Anyway, well, but back to the back to the New York yeah, Macy's. Back to Thirty Fourth Street. Yes. I mean, as anybody knows, listening, you know, you can so easily accidentally walk into a sunglass hut when you're trying to get into Macy's proper. And now you know the rest of the story. Exactly. So the building itself is yes. a massive, impressive thing. I mean, we're talking stone and brick with windows that stretch along the Broadway and 34th Street side when it opened, mm-hmm. flagpoles jutting out, and the classical statuettes that have been there for 100 years that still stand atop the doors. With It has a palladian, they call it the, the front piece a palladian style. Mm. It has an Italian, it's Beaux-Arts, but it has a sort of Italian symmetrical flair to it. Did you say Beaux-Arts? Beaux-Arts, mm. I did. The, uh, the Macy's building, of course, has, it has nine stories, 33 elevators, and four escalators was the first store to ever have escalators, and they're wooden escalators, and you can and they're still running. Correct? They're incredible. And actually, the website Forgotten New York has a great piece just on the wooden the wooden escalators. Oh, really? Yeah, should check it out if you're sort of an escalator freak. Get into it. Well, later later additions, of course, would be added to the Macy's department store in 20, 1924, 28, and 31. Those were by designer Robert D. Cohn, and that would stretch it all the way to 7th Avenue, thus making it, as they proclaim, and as they still proclaim, the world's largest store. Those additions, by the way, are, if you'll notice them in comparison to the older part, are have a more Art Deco style, because since they were built in the 20s, mm. Art Deco was all the rage at that time, so... So it's a little different, but it just it's it's smooth, and the building has this like domineering impressiveness to it. And you know you're going to go in, and you're going to do some shopping. You are going to do some shopping, and a trip to New York isn't complete without it. Brought to you by Macy's.com. <laughs> 
On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. But beyond the impressive building, Macy's was important for actually introducing some things that became staples of American diet and habit, actually, most notably, oh. if I can just run through some things here. Sure, of course. I have a few myself, so. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> shall we go back and forth? Yes. Well, See I, if anything's yes. on Well, I on have a 19... 19- 12, they introduced the tea bag. Well, I mean, yeah. William Titan was the store's food and wine buyer, and I guess this exotic thing called the tea bag came in, and they started selling it in 1912, and it was the first store to do so. The tea bag. I mean, Americans were drinking tea, but they just never had it in a little bag like a little, that. Yeah, of course. Leave it to Titan and leave it to Titan about what is it, 14 years later mm-hmm. in 1926, this guy was gold. He struck it again with a baked potato. A potato. He, I, but look, every every source I went to said <laughs> yes. He introduced the baked potato. I don't know how you introduced did, it in the department they, I know. Store. Do they have like a like a counter, a lunch counter? I guess. Well, sure. Yeah, they up? were. They wow. were. You can eat there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, it was actually the first retailer to have a full liquor license. So oh. you could have something <laughs> with that potato. You, but you, it, yeah, the dish would be quickly adopted by the American palate. Of course, sure, of course. In uh, 1932, you could uh, you know, clean yourself off with the very first colored bath towel, um, which was introduced <laughs> by William Winner. William Winner and That's the colored bath towel. Like a Horatio Alger name. That is an unbelievable name. <laughs> and... The right man to introduce a colored bath towel. Yes. In 1934, clothes would become standardized according to size and designed in a range of colors, uh, styles, and prices. So they were standardizing how we shop and buy clothes as well. They had already introduced the unique price. Right, right. But everybody had the same price. Salesmen weren't going to talk up and down and, and in and out. You, you knew what the price was. You could figure out what the size was. And they were really standardizing the entire shopping experience. Basically, they opened the world up for petite departments, big and tall departments. So Macy's course for the rest of the century, however, it has some real ups and downs. I mean, how does it get to where we are at today in terms of just its almost dominance, the American department store? Well, it wasn't really smooth sailing. I mean, first of all, you have Robert Moses who comes in with Peter Stuyvesant. Stop it! (laughs) 
I know Robert Moses has nothing to do with this story. Actually, I don't think he does. In fact, if any listener knows any way that Robert Moses fa- <laughs> factors into please, the Macy's please, stores... Please send us an email. Yeah. No, in, by 1918, Macy's was generating $36 million in annual sales. So they had become a really sure. big player. And that allowed them... Well, growing and growing allowed them in 1922 to go public, at which point they started buying out and taking over their competitors. Uh-huh. Let us just kind of skid through, if we can, the rest of the 20th century. Uh I'm going to do it really fast. And apologies to people who have personal stakes in these buyouts and mergers and (laughs) acquisitions. I don't mean to be cold about this. It's just there's so many. Yeah, Yeah, we could do, you know, a whole series on this. But throughout the 20s and 30s, Macy's would take over regional department store chains, um, like those based in Toledo, the LaSalle and Cock, Atlanta, the Davison, Paxton, uh, Newark, Bambergers, take them over. Mm-hmm. 1945 broke into California by taking over the O'Connor Moffat and Company in San Francisco. Well, sure, Union, famous. Union Square, Union of course. Union Square, exactly. Well, converted into a Macy's. In okay. 1946, they held their first flower show, by the way. And which they which Macy's still has. Um, right? Yes. Just another tra- tradition. Mm-hmm. So Macy's had already grown, established itself as a national brand at mm-hmm. that point. If we jump up to 1994, a very important thing happens where federated stores acquire Macy's, creating the world's largest premier department store chain with more than 400 locations in 37 states. Now, from 95 to 2001, Federated would convert lots and lots of their other brands, including things like A&S, which was a former Macy's competitor right there at uh-huh. Herald Square, Jordan Marsh, and Stearns. So swallowing everything up. Yeah, they'd convert them over to Macy's. Now, in September 2005, so just a couple years ago, Federated announced that all of Marshall Field stores would convert to Macy's in 2006. Oh, I remember Marshall Fields. Right. Those are all gone. You're right. And additionally, in 2006, Federated converted its May Company stores. This was a big deal over to Macy's. So at this point then, now, I mean, Macy's is everywhere. N- Macy's is enormous. There are more than 800 in all parts of the countries. And in June of 2007, Federated Department Stores changed its corporate name from Federated, Federated Department Stores to Macy's Group. And as part of that, because they were based in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. they relocated their headquarters back to New York City and back to the Herald Square Landmark wow. building. So basically, what's happened? Full circle. They've become a gigantic blob absorbing every department store in its path. And then when it gets so big, it basically explodes and goes back to the beginning, goes back to Herald Square. Well, no, it kind of took a rainbow tour of the U.S. <laughs> and acquired and gobbled up. It did go bankrupt at a certain point, got bought out by Federated. I mean, we're, we have to gloss over some of these things. But by the time it came back home to 34th Street, it was the home base of a giant, enormous national retailer with 800 stores. I mean, it came back bigger than ever. I think that old Rowland Hussey would be pretty pleased. <laughs> The fact that his he had all these failures when he first started, and now his his empire has run amok yeah, throughout I mean, the United States. Exactly. A May, I mean, I grew up in, in Ohio with a May company at yes. the local mm-hmm. mall, and you know what that is now? It's a Macy's. It's a Macy's. Why I remember Famous Bar growing up. It's a Macy's. There you go. One thing that has not changed, despite Macy's itself becoming this gigantic monster of commerce and retail... What's that? ...is, of course, the Thanksgiving Parade. And... People are always surprised. I was kind of surprised to learn this, actually, that the first parade was in 1924. 
Mm. It is an old, it's an institution. The parade was basically started by Macy's employees, European immigrant employees, as sort of a way to celebrate their heritage and to celebrate the holidays in the ways that they used to and the way that their families used to. So what they they called the Macy's Christmas Day Parade, even though it took place in Thanksgiving, because it does have Santa Claus in it, so it's it's okay to call it Christmas. The very first parade started on Covenant Avenue and one hundred and forty fifth Street, and then walked five point five miles. That's that's a madness, by the way. Could you imagine today's parade going that far? With Back just in like my day, <laughs> our parades walked five miles, miles, miles and miles of balloons and marching. You have to have like like four hundred marching bands to fill that. Anyway, uh, the employees dressed as clowns. They dressed as cowboys, sheiks. They dressed as knights. They used animals from the Central Park Zoo. Believe it or not, I so, love that zoo. That zoo detail, though. I mean, if you can just imagine the camels. Yeah, they. They had camels, they had elephants, they had donkeys and goats. Well, and you the, know, it, like no Thanksgiving Day parade is complete without some goats walking. Well, the, the very street. next year, by the way, they would actually have bears, lions, and tigers from the from oh the my. parade. <laughs> but they actually removed those because obviously those were scaring the children. So right. anyway, uh, so the, the first parade wound its way down all the way down to Thirty Fourth Street to the Macy's, where Santa Claus would was enthroned on his balcony at 34th Street store entrance, and he would then be crowned King of the Kitties and would unveil the holiday windows. Oh, that's so sweet slash creepy. <laughs> so ever so then, you know, in 1928, just a f- few years later, the window designer, Tony Sarg, who designed the Macy's, all those holiday windows, designed the very first big balloons. Now, here we, here's one of the things, the things we, that we hinted at at the beginning of the podcast. The very first balloon was Felix the Cat. Ah. The very first balloon. Isn't that amazing? But wonderful, they also, they wonderful also, cat. They also had a dragon. They had an elephant. They had a toy soldier. They, uh, they filled these things with helium. Unfortunately, you know, helium expands when, you, when it lifts to high altitudes. So these things popped, basically. Oh. Are, and Which did nothing for those ch- poor children who <laughs> were just recovering from their post-bear trauma. To see this like, you know, little elephant pop in the air, yeah, it's very... <laughs> but, but the best part, if I may, is that at the end of the parade, you'd be walking along with these uh, helium balloons, and they would actually release them oh, into yeah, the weird. air. Yes. And you can just imagine Felix the cat floating off in the air, <laughs> and Macy's started offering, actually, in 1929, a $50 reward for the return of these balloons, the safe return, and to help expedite this, in fact, they would include a little return address oh, sewn sure. into the rubber floats. But you can just imagine... Well, chaos, right? You can... <laughs> exactly. There's Mickey Mouse and Felix and... Well, they had, like, t- two uh, tugboats almost collided trying to fish one of these balloons out of, uh, out of the East River. Sure, because it became a big game. It became a sport. <laughs> In fact, pilots were going after mm-hmm. them because this was sort of an age of daredevil pilots and unregulated airspace. Well, thankfully, they discontinued that in 1933. And by the way, they figured out that whole helium thing. They, what they do now is they mix it with air. It's, a, it's an air and a helium mix. Did you know, by the way, that, speaking of helium, that yes. Macy's is the second largest consumer of helium 
in the United States, the, the U.S. government being number one. But Macy's is number two. That's how much helium that they use in all these balloons. That's outrageous. And that's primarily because of the parade. I mean, outrageous. they don't also have like some crazy gift balloon well, do you, empire. Do you, that see, I don't know do you see these helium gift balloons around? <laughs> I don't. I think it's just blowing up these Thanksgiving Day balloons. Wow. So anyway, you know, you get into the 30s. It's this thing is this thing is so popular. All, all these. Big celebrities join in: Harpo Mark, Shirley Temple, Jackie Gleason. You know, in 1933, it's it's first filmed for newsreels. In uh, 34, they have a collaboration with Disney, and that's when Mickey Mouse and uh, Big Bad Wolf, Little Pig, Pluto, they all come in. In 1939, the biggest balloon in Macy's Thanksgiving Day history. 1939, that would be Superman. In 39. Yes. Wow, okay. Um, and then during the war, not surprisingly, from 1942 to 44, there would be no parade because of the war, and that rubber would be donated. The parade would start up again in 1945, and it's bigger and more fabulous than ever. 1948, the parade was broadcast for the first time on TV, on NBC. You're making a face. Well, you I need to, else? well, because you know what happened in 1947? We can't forget this. It doesn't have anything to do with 47, the parade. 47, 47, 47. Miracle on 34th Street. Oh. Oh, was released course, probably yeah. the movie that makes the reputation of Macy's and is one of the most enduring Christmas movies. In 1957, there was a big downpour, and Popeye was in the in the parade at that point, and his hat, the way it had been fi- been made, filled with water. So then he tilted over onto a bunch of people and got like hundreds of people wet with gallons of water spilling out of Popeye. Oh my god! And then just a year later, <laughs> there was a helium shortage. So the balloons in 1958 were actually filled with air and pulled along. So it disappeared. They were floating. I believe that the technical term for that, if I might, is balloon. A balloon. There's 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 a balloon, a balloon. A balloon, which is a... I think something you pull along. It's a float and balloon. A float and balloon. And then a balloonicle, which they also have, which is a balloon vehicle. I went to the doctor about those. (laughs) In 1958, there was a helium shortage, so that's what they did. In 1963, was a little somber parade. Some of the floats were draped in black because the assassination of GFK had just occurred. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1976, for the Bicentennial, they decided to shake things up a little, and Macy's would start sponsoring the 4th of July fireworks, oh, which yes. they still and do. they still do. They do a great job with that, by the way. Thanks, Macy's. Macy's.com. And, and as a matter of fact, they uh, claim that they use 55 times more fireworks than the Average American Fourth of July show, which seems like a little bit of a waste. Seems like a little bit of an unnecessary comparison, too. They are Macy's. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a big that's a lot of explosions. Now, on on a serious note, though, the parade has seen some kind of more tragic elements in recent years. In 1997, there was the Cat in the Hat, if you recall, hit a pole and ended up injuring a woman very severely, and she ended up in a coma. Which she came out of. Yes, thankfully. But the the balloon was actually removed from the parade because so there was, will be no longer cat. At least there at least there hasn't been there hasn't been a cat in the hat balloon. So and also in two thousand five there were these I don't know why this is funny but these the M M&M and M chocolate sure. balloons they rained debris down on people and oh slightly injuring people. So you know be careful out there when you're watching the parade. And by by the way one. Fact that I, f- I failed to mention is our most enduring 
float, most enduring character in the parade, which of course would be Snoopy. He's been in the parade in six different incarnations, including an aviator, an astronaut. For some reason, he was a king. (laughs) They had a crown. (laughs) He was an ice skater. And then, yeah, and then this year, just back debuted last year and will be in this year, hopefully, he'll be the little flying ace because we love Snoopy. So We do love Snoopy. Now, if you are planning to go this year, the current parade strolls down from 77th Street and Central Park West down to Columbus Circle, and then it follows Broadway to 34th Street. Once at 34th in front of Macy's, it hangs a right and turns west and ends rather abruptly at 7th Avenue. That runs from 9 a.m. to 12 o'clock noon. They expect more than 10,000 people to actually participate in the parade, uh, with two to three and a half million spectators cramming along the parade route and more than 50 million of us watching on TV. Probably what I'll be doing, uh, helping out with uh, Thanksgiving dinner, making some rolls or something, or maybe just watching other people make food while I watch the parade. I'm going to leave you with one kind of disconcerting note. Did you know that in the history of the Thanksgiving parade, there have been over 50,000 clowns that have entertained children and audiences alike? Just picture in your head 50,000 clowns. 50,000 clowns in the parade? In the parade. And this is the 80th. I'm doing some long division here. Over, over by the way, 300,000 so Macy's employees, but 50,000 clowns. I don't think that those are employees. But that's that's like 625 clowns per parade. <laughs> oh, they must have had some years where they just had a lot of clowns. Maybe they had a clown parade and all <laughs> clowns. Clown parade. All right. Well, we're we're done uh. clowning with you. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You can, of course, check us out on the blog. We update every day. That's BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Dot- and if you would like to email us, because you can, you can find our email addresses on the blog. And we appreciate the emails that we've already gotten. And we also appreciate the reviews that we've gotten on iTunes. Every single one of them is very helpful to us in our getting ranking and prominence on the site, which just gets us more subscribers. So we really appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening and have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you next week. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last.